0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask ALB, a podcast that features interviews with prominent lawyers and thought leaders. My name is Julian from Asian Legal Business. Please note that the contents of this podcast is not to be taken as professional advice, but just general guideposts for you to think through the issues you face. Now, we have a very special guest with us today. This practice focuses on technology company representation and international transactions. He represents both companies and investors in investment rounds and stock sales. He has worked on deals ranging from small angel investments to representing a private equity firm in a $6 billion acquisition. His innovations with Raymond Law has won awards from the Financial Times and the American Bar Association Journal and have appeared in a wide array of international publications, including The Economist, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review and more. He was awarded Law Firm CEO of the Year in 2021 at the Global CEO Excellence Award by CEO Monthly. He is also recognized by the American Bar Association as a top innovator in the law and awarded the Legal Rebel distinction. So let's welcome Michael Morazade, founding partner and the CEO of Raymond Law. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing very well. How are you, Julian? Great, great, great. We're all slowly coming out of um, COVID-19 uh, restrictions, but I think a lot of Asia is still uh, having a bit of a transition at this point. So let's just get on with the interview. Uh, can you give us a definition of what constitutes a legal rebel? Give us an inside school on how you became one and what inspired you to start Limon Law?
1: Sure. Well, you know, legal rebel can mean a lot of things, but in terms of you know, the, the distinction I was honored to uh, to receive uh, from the ABA Journal, it is it is a recognition that the American Bar Association gives every year to lawyers that they feel are disrupting the legal service uh, market. Um, and so they they uh, gave it to me a few years ago, along with my co-founder, Jakob Silberman. And so uh, Ramon is, uh, we believe, disruptive uh, for for many, many reasons. And we'll get to that uh, later, I believe. But uh, very quick background uh, is that I was working at a great firm called Ropes and Gray. Um, It's it's an old white shoe law firm based in Boston, been around since before the American Civil War. Real quality lawyers, quality uh, work. Um, I really liked it there. Uh, however, it was uh, like most other uh, elite law firms. Um, I felt kind of stuck in the 20th century. Uh, the way that things, the way that the attorneys collaborated with each other, the way that they worked with clients, the way the the amount of the extreme overhead costs that we had um, really seemed to me to be, you know, um, outdated, quite frankly. And so before I'd, I'd gone to uh, law school. I had worked in technology companies. I'm here uh, in Silicon Valley. I grew up in Silicon Valley. So I saw the innovations in the tech sector, particularly uh, Google and Facebook at the time. uh, And this was 2008. And I felt that the legal sector uh, was way behind. And so uh, my co-founder, Yaakov, and I started to think about ways that we could um, upgrade, uh, redesign the law firm, uh, and we decided that it really needed to be done by, from scratch. That the the law firm model uh, was built on the billable hours, by on the overhead, the hierarchy, and it really couldn't be uh, reformed. It had to be recreated, uh, and that's why we started Remote uh, in two thousand eight.
0: Right. So, how? What do you hope to achieve moving forward after setting up Remote Law?
1: Uh so well so perhaps um uh, I could say what we've achieved so far mm. uh, and that might help frame moving forward. So yeah. since 2008 we've grown to 165 lawyers. Um we are a global firm now. We're in uh we're going to be in 15 countries. Uh s- announcing our newest one uh in in a couple of weeks. Uh and what we do what makes us different is that we collaborate using cloud computing, video conferencing, all these things that people have started to uh, embrace because they had to, because of COVID, we were doing it already. So this firm, again, was built on it. It's not something that we built on top of an old model. We scrapped the old model, uh, allowed for, law for for the attorneys to, um, to use the uh, firm more as a platform to serve their clients better, give them more flexibility, get rid of the hierarchy, lower the overhead costs, have less office space, uh, allow the attorneys to work from anywhere, and then focus on recruiting really top-notch talent, great attorneys from the top-tier law schools and law firms, and give them freedom, give them fre- flexibility. And that's how we've been able to grow as much as we have. So to answer your question, where are we going in the future? Where where do we want to take this? We want to continue to grow. You know, uh, where. are yeah, at a nice pace right now. We've been growing at last year, we grew by um, 56%. This year, we're on track to grow uh, potentially at around the same rate. Um, we, uh, as I said, have been growing internationally. The international growth really only started about a year and a half ago, and now we're at almost 15 countries. So we see this as a process that builds on itself. The more great attorneys we get, the more we're able to uh, bring in bigger and bigger matters, the more we're able to bring in better, not better because we already have great lawyers, but more and more great lawyers. Um, And so that's that's the process that's unfolding now.
0: Great, wow, okay. So let's get down to the topic for today, which is the radical rethinking of legal solutions post COVID-19. I think much has been said about the future of law prior to 2019 and then COVID-19 happened and the world changed, right? Everyone was struggling to adapt to the new normal quickly. Um, Can you give us, let's say a snapshot of what that prevailing paradigm of law firm services prior to COVID-19 was like and your assessment of how it responded to the pandemic?
1: Yes, I think that's, you know, the typical, the the paradigm of the law firm model has not really changed in half a century, maybe more. I think it's it's very, very slowly evolved for the last hundred and fifty years. Uh, anywhere in the world, by the way, I think this is true uh, common law as well as civil law countries. The firms were built on uh, a partnership model where you know a few partners own the firm and they they give work to a lot of associates. They have big, fancy offices, and um, for the most part, they're billing by the hour. And the way they make more money is increase the billable hour and increase the number of hours billed by the associates. And other than that, there is very little innovation. I would say the only real innovation that the, the traditional law firms had was um, the Varine, Swiss Verion model and getting bigger and bigger. Of course, they've adopted technology, but slowly, um, pretty much behind every other industry, uh, <laughs> WordPerfect getting uh, into Word using uh, you know things like Excel and cloud computing way after everybody else did. So that that was the paradigm before. There there were lots of articles about you know um, the big four coming in and technology companies coming in, automation, you know, artificial intelligence changing the way law is practiced. I think that's all true, but it really wasn't happening. There was much more talk about it than than action. Then COVID hit, and all of a sudden lawyers were working from home. Uh, they were forced to, and they were embracing things that are. Had been around for a long time, like video conferencing, and they realized they liked it. I mean, survey after survey shows that uh, big firm lawyers all over the world prefer working from home. Not everybody, of course. Lots of lawyers wanted to go to the office and really missed it, but uh, the majority have been saying that they actually preferred working from home. And this is in firms that actually weren't built for 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 that kind of uh, collaboration. So even with all the difficulties, even though. You know, this was around the tragedy during COVID, when you know people's kids, you know, weren't going to school and things were much harder. It was much harder to work from home during COVID than you know, let's say, uh, a usual period. Nonetheless, most lawyers preferred it. So, what we are seeing now is is a dramatic paradigm shift where law firms are realizing that all the money they spent in these big fancy offices, um, you know, are not really worth it. Uh, and the, the associates model, the leverage model, they're also seeing that a lot of associates, younger associates, um, prefer to have flexibility as opposed to uh, squeezing every hour out of, uh, out of their time uh, to make partner. <laughs> so I think COVID, in other words, accelerated what probably would have happened anyway, and it uh, truncated into, you know, maybe 10 years happened in one year. And so we're seeing now law firms, even the bigger, older law firms, Um, talking about uh, hoteling uh, options as opposed to every partner getting a big corner office, talking about uh, hiring partners uh, in cities where they don't even have any lawyer, uh, they don't have an office. You know, like Quinn Emanuel, for example, is saying that they will now hire partners wherever they find them. Um, This is a huge paradigm shift. Um, What that will mean for the other things like adoption of technology and flexibility, uh, still unknown my guess is that their law firms won't change those other things unless they're going to be forced to. So again, it's going to be a layer of innovation, but it's going to be built on top of this old, evolved model.
0: Right. So what you're saying really is that, you know, for you, your law firm, you built it from scratch, I suppose. Yes. You you saw how things uh, were antiquated in Europe, I guess, and you built something from scratch. Whereas yes. what you are saying in this particular case, you know, the the foundation is still tra- the, the traditional way of doing things, but just adding layers, right? So it's not a radical rethinking of of the process, I assume.
1: Yes, exactly. So let me let me yeah. be very very specific about this. So the traditional law firm model, and again, I'm yeah. generalizing here. Of course, there's going to be exceptions to everything, but and the big firms, the big global firms, yeah. they have. Partner, their partners, partnerships. So their equity partner. That's those are the guys, the the guys and and women making the the decisions. Um, they're the ones that are taking the profits, right? The the highest paying um, people in the company in the firm, generally speaking. Uh, they have to deal by consensus. Usually, right. there are a few firms that have a dictator, uh, in essence, that gets to decide everything. But generally, they have to. Um, e- even in those places. You know, the dictator has been there for a very long time and they became a dictator because they were brought up in the system. So that makes it very, very difficult to radically change a law firm. It's it's you got, you know, the people running the ship have benefited from that process. They're the ones who are least likely to really want change. Right. Um, and so uh, and, it, and if, even if they didn't want change, they would have to get buy in from pretty much everybody else. So it's a very, very difficult task. So getting things like changing the compensation model and making it objective the way we did, as opposed to, you know, having a compensation committee, getting rid of hierarchy, getting rid of, um, you know, uh, excess office space, all of these things, very, very difficult to do with a traditional firm. Mm -hmm. What you can do is say, all right, you know, we'll let some people work from home, you know? Now let's see if those people working from home in these firms are gonna be treated as well as the people who don't work from home. There probably will still be some, you know, um, uh, cultural benefit to coming into the office because that's where the centers of power will continue to be in a traditional firm. So that's very different, right? For us, we scrapped that from the beginning and said, compensation is purely objective. We don't need a compensation committee. Management here is not going to be managing the attorneys. They're gonna be managing the, the infrastructure. The attorneys will, you know, we will bring in great lawyers and then we will give them absolute flexibility working from home is only one part of that. So it's still a very different thing. Okay. How was it like for you when COVID hit then? Um, per- personally, it was difficult, I suppose, like other people, you know, but from a business perspective, no problem at all. It was business as usual. Uh, it it actually made things a lot easier. I personally have been working from home. Most of our attorneys work from home. We do have, to be clear, we have offices, but um, it's maybe 20% uh, the footprint. Uh, of a traditional office, it's more like a hoteling hybrid type office our attorneys use when they need it. Uh, and so, you know, our attorneys were already collaborating, working closely together uh, on in the cloud. So that was easy. We didn't uh, more in, to some in some ways more importantly, our staff was working in the cloud. So that was very easy, smooth. Wouldn't have noticed any difference. There's no 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 uh, issues whatsoever there. Um, In fact, I would say it got easier because then our clients and uh, attorneys on the other sides of deals and litigation and the courts, now they were using video conferencing. Mm -hmm. So it made it actually easier to do what we do anyway. So now actually, like I used to do a lot more phone calls, but after COVID I had no video calls. So I'm actually seeing people even more now than than before.
0: So I guess in a way, the, the way clients interact with you, has always been this way, I suppose. So it's it's no dramatic change for them, I guess, Uh, in in terms of how they interface with you, right? Well, you know,
1: that's true. But to be clear, we do whatever the clients want anyway. So clients who wanted to come into the office, we would see them in the office or we'd get lunch with them. But I think the truth is most uh, high-end corporate law practice these days um, is not face-to-face meetings. Uh, Business development is face-to-face. But even before COVID, it's not like you would sit down every time you saw you talk talk to the client anyway. Um, so uh, the the paradigm shift is that now instead of getting on the phone, people are getting on video more. So we're actually seeing the clients more. But yeah, I mean, there were times when I would have met a client in person that you know I haven't in the last year. So that's that's been interesting. But like I said, it's not like I was meeting with clients all that often face to face.
0: All right. Looking beyond COVID nineteen, uh, what do you see are the market drivers for the legal sector in the future?
1: Um, I think that there's there are certain things that are going to to stay because of this COVID nineteen experience. You know, like as yeah. like I like we've talked about, um, attorneys have now worked from home. They've had a taste of it. Um, a lot of it are a lot of them are going to demand it. I also think law firms have had a taste of. Um, having lowered expenses, uh, you know, this, the, the last year and a half law firms have not been spending as much on business development or uh, firm, uh, get togethers or all these things. So I think the firms themselves are going to be a lot more, um, reticent to spend the kind of money they were spending before. So I think that's going to be a, a, a very, that's going to be a longer lasting result of COVID. Um, if you're asking me, are you asking me what, what are the market forces that are totally unrelated to COVID? Yeah. Um, I think that it's very hard to predict, right? But I think that it's uh, it's the things that um, we, that we're getting the top news before all this happened, artificial intelligence. I think that's still going to fundamentally change the way we practice law. It might take time, you know, there's this rule that um, things usually take longer to have an effect than you expect them to. But when they do, then they have a much larger effect than you expect them to. Um, for example, you know, when the iPad first came out, at first the first couple of years, you know, people expected huge changes in society and there weren't. But now 20 years, you know, as we're getting up there, we're starting to see massive differences where menus and everything are now scanned by your phone. So I think that we're going to be seeing a similar thing with artificial intelligence. I think it's taking longer than people think uh, to, to really be uh, a driver in innovation, but once it takes hold, I think you know, where a lot of the more mundane aspects of, of legal work uh, can be replaced by artificial intelligence. I don't think people need, attorneys need to be afraid of that. I actually think it will make the practice of law much more enjoyable. I think the uh, AI will replace the practice, the the elements of law that are actually the most boring parts of law that people actually <laughs> want to practice. Um, so anyway, I still think AI ultimately, long term, is going to be the biggest driver and, and change. One, That's one thing. Second thing is uh, changes in regulations that will allow for non-lawyers to uh, invest in law firms. We're already mm-hmm. seeing... Some of this, and this is this is more from the, you know, it depends on the jurisdictions. So, for example, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore are pretty strict about the, you know, regulations on practicing law. So they probably are going to um, keep outside financing out for a while. Other places like the United Kingdom and Australia have allowed it now for quite some time. So what you're seeing is outside uh, litigation funding companies going in. Uh, and and actually evaluating the likelihood of a, of, of a case to win uh, and investing in it. We are also seeing um, law firms go public. We're seeing law firms backed uh, by private equity shops. Um, in the United States, Arizona and Utah recently uh, opened up the gates to allow for law firms to be owned by non-lawyers. I think once that happens in California and New York, I think then it's going to be uh, widespread. Once you have the ability for non-lawyers to invest in law firms, then I think you're really going to have um, a dramatic change uh, in innovation because I think what law, the legal sector needs, quite frankly, is non-lawyers coming in and um, bringing fresh ideas and uh, innovation and efficiencies um, that we've seen in other sectors. I think that's going to be coupled with uh, with AI and big data. I think um, the opening of the business of law to non-lawyers will have a dramatic change uh, in the next 10 to 20 years. In the next five to 10 years, I don't know if there's going to be such a huge change. I don't know.
0: Right. I mean, we've seen, I think, accounting firms making inroads into the legal sector as well. Yes. Do you have an opinion on that and their impact on the practice of law?
1: Well, it's. I think that's tied to the ownership of uh, whether non-lawyers can own a law firm, right? Certain jurisdictions, of course, they can already. For example, in Mexico, you already have, you know, uh, the big four um, uh, and uh, they're, they're doing quite well competing with law firms. Um, in other jurisdictions like the United States, you have the big four already kind of taking some of the tax work you know uh work that isn't technically uh doesn't technically require a lawyer so you're already starting to see that um but the regulations are keeping them from going all in um i think once those those uh barriers are um are lifted then yes i think the big four will immediately jump into uh practice of law but I don't think it's going to be as catastrophic as some people think for, you know, for uh, law firms that don't want to be acquired by the big four. I think the big four have other issues they need to be concerned with, like conflicts issues and, um, you know, uh, they they get a lot of referrals from law firms. And I, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be going for the high end legal work. You know, we'll see. Uh, but I do think that ultimately they will. They will compete to some extent with law firms more than they are now. Okay now uh, let's
0: switch focus to the client side of things. Um, can you tell us a bit about your perception of what clients are really looking for today after COVID has happened? Obviously I suppose a lot of their focus changed when COVID hit uh, in 2019 so their priorities obviously shifted a little bit. Uh, what is your opinion of the current criteria CLOs are eval- using to evaluate outside councils? What are they looking for moving forward
1: from the? Yeah, level you know, it's interesting. I'm not. I'm, I'm not so sure. COVID has had too much of an effect. Uh, mm. You know, I think uh, again, it's very early to see. But I think that um, I think the financial, the the uh, at least perceived financial crisis that came with COVID. Um, have the the usual effect, which is it uh, forced an house counsel to really consider uh, the most efficient ways to uh, to spend their uh, their their legal fees. Um, and uh, that may have moved things forward a little bit. But yes, this is a process that's been happening since the financial crisis, I would say since 2008, um, in-house counsel have uh, become much more uh, sophisticated and focused on uh evaluating pricing of law firms um they've been pushing back we're talking about large obviously the larger legal departments uh they've been pushing back on uh younger associates billing for their time um they uh they are doing more in house um so that was all happening before covid again i think the maybe covid just got them to uh think even more about that and and see that there's There's potential for, for savings, but I don't think there's been a dramatic shift in the way that, uh, clients see their law firm.
0: Okay. What do you think are the leaders law firms can pull to, to generate, you know, better levels of satisfaction and revenues from customers or clients? How can law firm leaders influence this?
1: I mean some of the answers are pretty simple right which is listen listen to your clients you'd be surprised how many law firms and lawyers don't, don't even ask their clients you know often uh, there have been again a lot of studies about this too where where clients just leave their lawyer they don't even tell them why and the lawyer never asked them why um it's 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 a term you know i've, I've heard to refer to as ghosting they ghost their their law firm uh, and the, and the lawyers, you know, they, they never even investigate. Um, they, they often don't ask their clients, what else can we be doing for you? Or can you, you know, what did you think about your experience with us? Again, this is very basic customer service that uh, any other sector figured out, uh, in the 1800s, but, (laughs) but, but law firms don't do it. So I think that's pretty easy, low hanging fruit. Uh, now the more, I suppose the sexy, bigger stuff that they could be doing is uh, coming up with better alternative billing models, right? Rather than billing purely by the hour, coming up with more flat fee options whenever possible. Clients have clearly stated they prefer to have predictable pricing, Mm -hmm. which often is better for the law firm, right? Because if the law firm has an incentive to be more efficient, uh, maybe at first it will hurt them, uh, but ultimately they can create a much more efficient process which goes back to you know why law firms haven't changed because they haven't been forced to so they've been doing this whole hourly model they haven't been adopting technology because they're billing by the hour but i think once they look at different billing models uh clients will be happier and then the law firms will have an incentive to uh, adopt ai and uh, use big data and, and other things to serve their clients better um so yeah. And then finally, I would say uh, just also more efficiency in general, right? I think um, law firms, uh, the, the biggest law firms in the world this last year increased their profits during COVID. And when you look at the numbers more closely, it's mostly because they increased their billing rates. It's not because they did more work, nor was it because there was more legal demand. Um, it's, it's, only a matter of time when the clients will refuse to keep paying higher and higher billing rates. So if the law firms don't figure out how to become more efficient, I think they will lose their clients. Uh, And quite frankly, they have been losing their clients to firms like ours that are run more efficiently.
0: Mm. So I I guess you probably won't be the right person to answer this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So based on what you've described so far, um, would you be able to give, our audience, uh, some advice on how they can best calibrate their operations or service offerings to, to, you know, to meet the future, to stay future proof or resilient.
1: Yeah. So, the, first of all, there's no way to be future proof, right? That's not going to be possible. But I, do, I think that the best thing to do is, um, is to become much more flexible to, 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 to the extent that it's possible. And I know there are limitations, but to the extent that it's possible to uh, at least uh, starts making the firm structure a more nimble, flexible structure. That might be by outsourcing more, right? When you're outsourcing certain services, then you can turn off the spigot very quickly, as opposed to having huge staff in-house. It's all these things that, uh, that we've been talking about, like having smaller office space. COVID has accelerated this, so I think now people are starting to actually see that. Again, that allows for much more flexibility. If you can very quickly, you know, expand an office or decrease an office, you can then bring in lots of talent very quickly, uh, and you can also, uh, you know, lower the risk of doing so. Um, I would say also look at technology, invest in technology. You know, it's 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 hard again for law traditional law firms to do this because they're looking at their profits at the end of the year, as opposed to making long term investments. Again, this is because they're owned by equity partners who are just trying to take their cash out of here. But if they were thinking about the future, they should be investing in technology that won't return, um, have a return on investment for at least a couple of years. But that's that's the only way to survive in the future. So to to slightly revise your question, I don't think they can be future proof. But I think that if they don't do these things, they won't survive. You know. <laughs>
0: Okay, I noticed you mentioned the word nimble there. I suppose to a certain extent, there's a lot of collaboration happening, I suppose, with a law firm like yours because, you know, you have collaboration among different players. You know, it's it's very much like a network, I suppose. Do you see a a role collaboration can play to stay nimble for for law firms in the future?
1: I I would say collaboration is is not just a role. I think it's an absolute necessity. I think the only reason that uh, lawyers will be joining law firms uh, now or in the future is for better collaboration. It used to be that attorneys would join a law firm because of resources. Mm -hmm. And that's because it used to be very expensive to have a huge law library, you know, and to have a big fancy office and all of these things. Uh, And so um, attorneys, talented attorneys, they'll needed a big law firm for those overhead costs. That has dramatically shifted. Attorneys, great attorneys can do great work now uh, get you know research tools by the by the person um, instead of paying you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, and 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 they don't need a big firm. So why do they why do they join a big firm? Almost entirely, it's because of collaboration. Brand also brand helps, but it's really the ability to bring in um, colleagues so that if you are let's say an intellectual property litigation attorney. You will need other, um, you know, IP lawyers and litigators and lawyers from different jurisdictions that can help you when a case gets really heated up. Um, if you are an M A M&A lawyer, you need tax lawyers, real estate lawyers, uh, IP lawyers, um, you know, uh, all sorts of employment lawyers in order to do an M and A deal. So more and more lawyers uh, and clients will go to law firms because of the teamwork, uh, and law firms can't just say collegial uh as a you know as a buzzword anymore they really have to prove that they are working as a team otherwise they will have no value add
0: right. any advice or any suggestions on how we can further improve collaboration within the firm
1: that's you know it's it's very difficult right so i think that the uh, the most important thing from my perspective is who you bring into the organization Steve Jobs uh, once said that uh, to be successful, you have to say no. It's it's about how many times you say no. So you have to really not you have to say no to a lot of rainmakers that have big books of business who aren't collaborative, who are difficult to work with, um, yeah, ha- or who are silos. Um, that that is actually I would say the most important part of my job is making sure that everybody we bring into this firm is at the highest quality and is looking and actually needs to work with other lawyers. And you need both of those things because the quality, you know, if you have one lawyer in the firm, who's not absolutely the highest quality, then the other attorneys can't, um, can't rely on the firm to know that any attorney they, they see on the roster can do the job, Mm -hmm. you know, and if they can't rely on, on the firm for that, then they have to waste a lot of time getting to know the other partners before they give them any work. So for me, the firm is making a promise to our lawyers and to our clients that every single person in this firm is is absolute top quality you don't have to you can just pick up the phone or uh call them or click on their name for a video conference uh even without meeting them and know that they're going to do a good job um and then the second thing is collaboration tools right so bringing uh bringing technology video conferencing um uh having uh microsoft teams chat rooms having Um, you know, social hours, virtual social hours, in-person social hours, doing things that go beyond the traditional model of just come into the office and it will all work out. That doesn't work. We have to collaborate in the 21st century. Uh, And I think that, again, I think COVID has accelerated that for a lot of law firms, which is great. But now, you know, it's important for law firms to continue to, to, uh, to improve on that. And then a third aspect of that, is um, I think collaboration also has to be nimble. A lot of law firms still require attorneys to go through some practice head or something in order to find out which other attorney they can work with on a project. That takes a lot of time. It wastes a lot of time. The client is waiting. Uh, That's actually why a lot of attorneys have joined us for things like this. They don't wanna sit around and wait for the practice chair to tell them who their favorite person is that they have to work on a project. So for our firm and many firms, They've removed that, you know, just make it easy. Make it so that every attorney can trust the other attorneys, knows how to reach those other attorneys and take away all the unnecessary middlemen from the process.
0: Okay, all right. so that's how you do it at remote law.
1: That's how I do it. And, and, and by the way, I think that that's not unique to us, what I just described. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think any successful firm will have to do that.
0: Right. Uh, just, just, just out of curiosity, in terms of collaboration, right? Don't don't doesn't a law firm really need to collaborate to deliver a unified solution to a client anyway? To begin with, I mean, if if let's say it's an M&A project, you have a few people involved, yeah. you know, from different disciplines. I mean, sometimes yeah. you may even get someone from Big Four involved with valuation that's issues. Isn't it already a given that there has to be collaboration? I suppose the question really is. How how
1: how much further we can take it, right? Yeah, the question is how much collaboration. That's right, right? Yeah. So some firms, for example, have fiefdoms. There are some firms where you know if you're working under one partner, then you won't work under with anybody from the other partner. Or there's these barriers to practice groups right. working together. There are other firms that have reputations of be having just mean people there that you don't want to work with. You know that uh, uh, create barriers to uh, to success. Um, so yes, like I like I said earlier, I think every law firm is exists. The only reason a law firm really exists is for collaboration. So they must all have some form of collaboration. But you know, some of them have really just a series of uh, silos working mostly by themselves, who just once in a while might refer work to somebody else in the firm. Um, so th- there are degrees. There are degrees of collaboration, right? Sure. Sure. All
0: right. Uh, thank you so much for the insight. Uh, it's really great having this discussion with you. Uh, with that, we've come to the end of this episode of Us ALB. I'd really like to thank uh, Michael for joining us today. We hope you can join us again in future episodes. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Michael, is there any final words you'd like to give to our listeners on how they too can become legal rebels themselves?
1: Well, I think yeah, be be nimble and take a little bit of a risk. You know, I think the lawyers uh, one thing that we've all been trained to do is be risk averse. You know, we are always looking for what could go wrong. Of course, be careful. Make sure the clients are served well. Don't take a risk when it comes to the clients, but take a little bit of a you know a, a risk in coming up with new ways to to practice. I think there's so much. This this industry is ripe for disruption. It's an exciting time. Uh, And I hope that your listeners will help innovate uh, what we're doing uh, in the practice of law. Thank
0: you so much, Michael, for that.
1: Where can our listeners find you? Uh, Please uh, contact me uh, anywhere, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, (laughs) Facebook. uh, But our our website obviously would be the best, rimonlaw.com, that's R-I-M-O-N-L-A-W.com. And you can find my bio there and feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you. right. Okay, so with that,
0: we'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Remember, Ask ALB can be streamed on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you, everyone.